0: The following panel with Janelle Aslan from Staple 2015 is about pitching comics. It was excerpted in brief on Giant Size episode 33, our big Staple special, which is now an annual thing because Staple is great. I've been twice now, and it is officially my favorite convention that happens in Austin. It's an actual comics convention. Uh, This is a great talk, whether you're interested in eventually making comics of your own or if you're just interested in how comics are made, what these deadlines are like, what these creators that you are a fan of go through to get these things out or, well, not get these things out occasionally in an expeditious manner, how they are or are not making their editors' lives hell. Show notes and links for this can be found at esn.fm slash artistedition slash 63, and I should mention that you should, in the waning hours of Janelle Aslan's Rosie Press Fresh Romance Kickstarter, go and support that, become a part of that bringing romance comics back in a big and great way without further ado here is your moderator valkyrie meredith nudo from the houston area and the star of the show the one and only janelle aslan thank you for coming
1: out on sunday morning i'm sure a good chunk of you are hungover so um, we this is the pitching comics with janelle aslan she is a, an editor at Comics Alliance, where she's also a contributing writer. She has also contributed to Mary Sue. She worked as an editor at uh, DC and Disney and Sideshow and Fangoria. <laughs> and was <laughs> recently featured in the She Makes Comics documentary by Sek mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was it's a great documentary, by the way, guys. And she is going to talk to you about how to pitch a comic. And afterwards, we're gonna open up the floor to questions from any of you who have comics to pitch. Thank you. And Welcome Janelle Aslan. Hello, everyone. So I'm gonna to try to
2: keep the presentation pretty brief just because I know many of you may have individual questions and things, so we'll, we'll get through the presentation and then get to the Q&A. Um, so we're gonna talk about you know how you formulate a pitch, which is obviously the, the basic important thing, um, how you pick a company, and then the various ways of pitching, which sometimes there's sneaky backdoor ways where you can pitch even if a company doesn't accept solicit, you know, doesn't accept unsolicited submissions. Um, so the lead on any pitch is usually going to be the writer if you, ha- if you are not both the writer and the artist. Um, so the writer has a lot of the responsibility for the pitch. Um, most companies, if you aren't already established and you don't have a good relationship with them, want you to pitch with an artist. Uh, which can be difficult sometimes for people. Um, but so the big thing for writers is you need to be able to distill your pitch into a short log line of one to two sentences that's really punchy, really exciting. It, it should make people want to read your book, <laughs> obviously. Um, but that's gonna be your in. Because if you meet an editor and you're having a quick conversation and you're like, hey, I've got this pitch where, you know, Somebody goes to space and this happens and this happens. And then they're like, oh, okay, like, I would like to know more. That's that your in. So you always wanna be prepared for any pitch, any story you're working on, to be able to distill it to one to two sentences. That actually also comes in handy once you're published because when you're doing interviews and, and talking to people about why they should buy your book, you're gonna wanna know that information too. Then you're gonna also want a one sheet that's just a one page description of the plot, um, and then a story outline. I always recommend if you're doing monthly comics, um, or, or you wanna do like a, a mini series or something, rather than a graphic novel, that you have one issue script done. Um, just because it's it's always nice if an editor loves your idea and says, okay, yeah, like, let. I, I want to pick this up for you to be able to say okay great here's my script <laughs> I'm ready um, because especially when you're trying to break in y- you want to be as as uh, eager to please as you can be without you know selling yourself out um, and then always have an intro paragraph for yourself which I, I think is good if you're emailing editors or um, you know introducing yourself at conventions you you want to have a quick like here's who I am here's why you should care that I want to write comics. Um, so this is some information about log lines. I'm not going to go over it in too much detail because there's a lot of information online. Log lines are also something that are recommended for um, pitching films and screenplays and stuff. Um, so there's actually a lot of resources for log lines online, and you can find examples of good film log lines. Um, but the big thing is, you know, you you just really want to sell your book you don't want to spoil the end you want to this is where you want to leave them wanting more and wanting to know more about your story um, and then the one sheet is really you break down everything you know if, if you're trying to pitch an ongoing at, at a major publisher which Godspeed um, <laughs> but you know you may not obviously have a plan for an entire you know five-year series or whatever you should have at least the first 6 issues. If you're doing a graphic novel, it should be the complete story. Um, if you're doing, you know, one issue, it should be the complete story. This is you're, you're not this is not a tease. This is the breakdown of what you're selling. So, artists sometimes have a more difficult time with pitching just because they also, you know, writers need artists and artists need writers. Um, artists when it comes to the pitching stage I feel should be really involved with their writers and be right there with their writers and if you have an artist and you're you know you're working together I always recommend that you have at least five to ten pages done. Don't be married to the pages because you know depending on your editor you might have to change them but it's always good to have a good sample of what this book is going to look like when it's your powers combined. And I really recommend that if you, if you are not a good colorer and you're colorist, color, oh, I'm tired, I'm sorry. Um, if you're not a good colorist and you can't afford a good colorist, don't get the pages colored. <laughs> Bad color can absolutely ruin really solid line art And it's better to go in with really good black and white art than shitty colored art any day. And most editors are gonna understand that you're in the pitching stage. You're not presenting most places a a finished product. You're you're pitching potential. Um, So if you can, I also recommend that you get it lettered because that's a really, really easy way to pitch. It's super fast, if you have an editor's ear for 5 minutes on a convention floor and you can pull out your iPad and be like here's 5 pages of this comic I'm working on lettered drawn it's so much faster for an editor to give it a quick look and they'll be able to tell so much more about your story in that 5 minutes than they you know they don't have the time on a convention floor to read through the one sheet and everything that's more for for email when you've established a relationship but but having lettered pages can be really beneficial to to pitching your book. Um, I also always recommend artists that are pitching um, have some other art samples. Just in case, um, if you have a a diverse set of styles that you draw in, it's, it's good to be able to show the editor. In case they don't love the sample pages, they might look at some of your other samples and be like, I love this style that you do I would rather you draw it like this. Sometimes people feel like they have to draw uh, certain stories in a certain way and they push themselves to work in a style that is not comfortable for them. And a lot of times you can tell, editors can tell when you're not as comfortable with an art style. And there's an artist that I worked with for a long time at DC who forced himself into a more DC style and I never liked this stuff. And we hired him because he was fast and he would fill in, but it was I was always like, oh man, his stuff is really shitty. Um, and then recently his agent contacted me and sent me a bunch of new samples and it's great work and it's because he had tried to fit himself into what he thought DC wanted and changed his art style, and now that he's doing what comes naturally to him, it works a lot better. But some people are very versatile and can do multiple styles, and so it's always good to present that to an editor. Also, if you're, I mean, it depends on what kind of book you're doing, but if you wanna do your own covers, it's always good to have a couple pinups or covers to show that you're capable of doing that. Uh, Not everyone is great at pinups and covers, and not everyone's great at sequentials, so you wanna show both if you wanna do both. So, choosing a company to pitch to can be one of the most difficult parts of the process. Uh, I always recommend that creators research all the different companies in comics. There's, it's much broader than Marvel and DC, which I think if you're here, you probably know that. Um, And Marvel and DC are really hard to break into, obviously. But there's a lot of small indie companies and, and it's just about researching what's the right home for you. And what's the more importantly, what's the right home for the specific project you're pitching? Because not every creators, every project is going to fit with one publisher. You're going to need to to probably branch out to multiple multiple publishers as you're as you're working. Um, I also recommend that you research the company's editors, um, find out who works on what, you know, the smaller companies usually have. Not, not a ton of editors, so it can be pretty simple. You can go to conventions, you can go to panels. Um, most companies have at least a couple editors on their panels so you can see them and put a face to the name. Um, I also recommend if you wanna pitch through unsolicited submission processes, like uh, I believe Dark Horse does unsolicited submissions, um, image, doing that at multiple companies is totally fine. Um, You don't want to have multiple pitches directly with editors at the same time because then you can get into an uncomfortable situation uh, where editors are thinking they're looking exclusively at your project and then you've got, it it can get dicey. And everybody in comics talks to everybody else, so. Um, Also, know if you can financially handle publishing with the company you're pitching to. Not everybody pays page rates. Um, some people won't pay you at all, which is terrible. Um, and some companies will pay you on the, the back end. Like Image takes a cut of the cost of producing the comic and then you, the creators get everything else. Um, but that can be hard for creators because especially for artists, who, you know, you're gonna be drawing a book for usually three or four months before you see a dime. And, and if the book doesn't sell, you may never see a dime, unfortunately. Um, so it's, it's a risky proposition. Uh, the advantage, of course, of Image is then you own the project and you can do whatever you want with it. Um, where if you look at a place like Boom, you're gonna give up a bunch of your ownership to get some mediocre page rates. But if you really wanna you know, make a page rate and eat or something, I guess, uh, then that may be a a trade-off. So there's a lot of creators who are really willing to talk about, not specifics in terms of how they're, you know, how much they're paid, but talk about the deals that different companies offer and that, you know, oh yeah, this company pays a page rate, this one doesn't, this one, uh, you know, they pay one small advance for the whole team and then nothing else And, and, most companies are different, so it just pays to do your research. Um, So when you're pitching, there's usually, you know, there's the easy unsolicited submission where you just send it in via generic email that they give you. Um, I always recommend, unsolicited submissions are really hard. You're going into what editors call the slush pile, um, which usually they make the lowest editorial person on the totem pole go through. Uh, so it's, it's hard, it's, it's, it's genuinely very hard to get a, a, a book published going the unsolicited submission route. You can also email editors and meet them in person at conventions and then Marvel and DC obviously don't accept unsolicited submissions but there are ways around that. So with unsolicited submissions, most companies have very specific guidelines on their websites, always follow those to the T. Always, because editors are looking for someone who will be easy to work with. I mean, that's not the the most important thing, but editors wanna know you can follow directions, that they're not gonna get pages that are in the wrong format when they're trying to publish and and stuff like that. So following the guidelines to a T is very important um, and anytime you're pitching for to any company, always go over your pitch materials with other people. Ask a few friends to to look at what you've done, especially friends who have an editorial brain who can proofread and and give you advice. Just have a couple other eyes on it. Um, can always they they can catch stuff that you might miss the the 400 times you've gone over it because that's everybody goes over <coughs> their pitches like 400 times. Um, so emailing editors you meet people at conventions. They always have cards or you know most editors part of their job is to to publish people <laughs> so they You know some of them can be a little a little dodgy about giving out their information But a lot of times they'll have a card and you can just say I'd, I'd really like to send you my samples or my pitch or whatever um, and part of doing research into editors is knowing what the different editors work on like i know people at idw who all work on very very different things you know they've got a a gi joe transformers editor and then they've got their kids editor and you don't want to send the wrong pitch to the wrong person they may be helpful but it it looks like you didn't do a ton of research Um, and when you email them just let them know oh we met at this con we talked briefly um i love that you edit this book and uh, I have a pitch, would you be interested? I never, ever suggest cold emailing an editor with your pitch. (laughs) Um, Depending on the company, they may have to delete your email if you send them a pitch, if they can't take unsolicited submissions. Um, And it's also just nice to ask. A lot of people don't (laughs) ask. So editors are like, oh, you're really polite. And, And you actually asked if I wanted to see your pitch now I am interested in working with you. And it really does work that way. I've, I've had that thought process. Yeah. So when you're at a convention and you're meeting editors, uh, just understand that editors are usually insane at conventions, <laughs> um, and they may not remember anything you say to them, so always follow up with email. Um, if you set up an appointment to meet with an editor, be prompt, be on time, um, bring, both printed materials and a digital copy. I like to have print just because you never know when something's gonna go wrong with your technology and then you just you have it just in case. Um, and it's something the editor can easily take away, but because of the nature of conventions, when you're meeting people in person and you're running around the floor, they could easily lose that. So having it digital, I always say just, as soon as you're done with the meeting and you can get a signal on your, your technology, send them an email PDF of what you just showed them. Because then they're gonna get back in the office and they're gonna be like, oh right, I had that nice conversation with that person. I really liked what they had, but I lost that stack of paper they gave me. And it just, it shows follow up, which is always good when you're, when you're pitching a project. Um, also, it's always easy to meet an editor after a panel. Just Then you can easily identify them they've just been on a panel talking and you can talk to them. A lot of times they have to rush off to other things but you can always walk with them and just say, hey, you know, I've, I've got a pitch or I'd really love to work with you guys. Can I stop by the, the booth at another time and talk to you about it? And it's all about when you're pitching, it's, it's not just about the pitch and how good the pitch itself is. It's also about how you present yourself and how you pitch you as a creator to the editors and making connections with the people who will publish your book because that that will go a long way so marvel and dc again do not send pitches to marvel and dc they will delete your email and they will remember your name and (laughs) light you on fire um i once had somebody call me when i worked at dc two guys called me on a like conference call and they were like we've got this great Batman story. And I think they just called the receptionist and were like, put me through to somebody who works on Batman. And they start telling me their pitch and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't listen to a pitch on the phone. Like we have a whole process, like legally, we could get sued if I listened to a pitch. And and then even a tiny bit of that actually happened in our comics as a coincidence, that could lead to a lawsuit. And the guys were like, no, 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 but our pitch is really good. That's cool, um, but I still can't listen, unfortunately. And then they were like, okay, we'll email it to you. No, I'm sorry. And then they kept talking, I had to hang up on them because they would not take no for an answer. You don't wanna be those guys. Um, but you can always send samples. I always say, even if you don't have a pitch in mind at the moment, if you don't have a collaborator on a new project you're working on, but you've done other comics in the past, send editor samples. Keep them aware of the work you're doing and let them know what you might be interested in working on in the future. And that's true for, for any comics company out there. If you stay in touch with editors and you say like, oh, I just did this project with, you know, I self-published it and here's what it looks like and I'm working on something new, um, but I don't have a collaborator yet. You never know when that editor's going to be like, oh, well, I have this you know, this writer who's really great, or I have this, this artist, and, and maybe you guys could work together. Um, that does happen, and, and it could be really beneficial to you just to keep your, keep your name in editors' brains as much as you can without being super annoying. Um, and when you send samples or a pitch, uh, send a low-res PDF or JPEGs Um, You you want it to be high quality enough that they can see it and and appreciate the quality of the work, but you don't want it so high quality that it clogs up their inbox. Um, Especially at the larger companies, they have limited inbox space, like it's allocated very carefully. Um, And they're also getting artwork from the books they're working on. So the first thing to get deleted is giant pitch emails or sample (laughs) emails. Because they can't delete the, the stuff with actual work in it. Um, so just keep that in mind as you're going and, and always follow up. Anytime you pitch, follow up. Um, I love to tell the story about there's this inker who I worked with at DC who was not the greatest inker or you know, he was really fast, but he, you know, he was a nice guy. Once a month, he must have set some sort of reminder for himself. Once a month, he'd send me a very nice email that said, hi, how's it going? Uh, You know, I saw on Twitter like you just went out of town, like I hope you had a great trip. By the way, I'm available and this is what my schedule looks like if you need any help, every month. And whenever I needed someone to help me out or if I needed a new anchor, he was always top of my mind because he was consistent, he wasn't there's some people who will reach out every week. It's too much. It's <laughs> too much. Um, but you know, you, you want to be communicating. You want to be in their minds. You want to not make it seem like you have no follow-up because <clears throat> you know, publishers want to publish people who are passionate about the work they do. And it's a little easier when you're doing creator-owned stuff because a lot of times you are passionate about it because it's, it's a personal project that you own, that you know, it, it's it's part of you. It's a little different for work for hire. But editors want to see creators who will follow up. I mean, I, I know companies that publish work for, or uh, create their own stuff, who sometimes get screwed because they people don't, they, they're on their own schedule because it's it's something very personal. But then the publisher doesn't have product to put out and so they can't pay their bills. That's that's actually a thing that happened to a friend of mine who runs a, a small press. And you don't wanna, you wanna be as easy to work with as you possibly can. Um, it'll help you get more work in the future. It'll help you keep a consistent career in comics. Um, you know, it's also just, it's good to establish when you're pitching that you can follow up because that leads editors to believe once they actually decide to publish you, you're not going to disappear for six months because you didn't ever want to draw anything and now they're screwed because they decided to publish you. So on that happy note, <laughs> uh, now we can take some questions. Yes, first over here.
0: Just a, a quick um, clarification add-on to the limiting file size and attachments, that kind of thing. Is it fine to just send something like a Dropbox link to Absolutely. keep the file completely out of the email in the first place?
2: Yeah, I would always opt for sending, uh, using a service that's identifiable, um, just because obviously people are concerned about phishing scams and, and like downloading a virus or whatever. Uh, so, you know, just Dropbox is a great way to go because people now recognize it as a service and they can also easily add it to their own Dropbox uh, account. So yeah, that's a good option. Or your website, if you, that's another thing, I always recommend having a website, and that's a really easy way to go too. If you have samples up on your site, you can just send them a link and say, here's, here's all my samples. Any other questions?
3: Hi, Gina. Hi, I've got a question with regards to, I'm a writer, and I've got comic scripts and then some of the um, problems I guess that, that come up are um, writers need illustrators to pitch. And then in terms of doing that pitch to um, start, I mean the writers that I've been finding or the illustrators that I've been finding on DeviantArt and other places that typic- typically I guess comic artists would be are really expensive, so, so do you have any advice for um, my, my first question would be, do you have any advice for writers looking to pitch and then um, finding artists? And then the second part would be, uh, would you recommend, say, a writer coming up to an, an uh, editor at a convention just with a script, not with um, ink pages?
2: In terms of finding artists, uh, one of the the ways I recommend, I I work now with a lot of up and coming creators. um, As a freelance editor, I help people polish their pitches and and get it in a place where they can pitch it to other companies. Um, I always recommend talking to artists about ownership, sharing ownership, saying you'll own half of this. Um, It also helps keep both parties engaged in the project if, if the person you find also feels like they they, they own it with you. Um, and that's one way, if you make it really clear. I also always recommend having a contract between collaborators, always. I don't care how close you are, unless it's yourself. Um, always have a contract. Things can always go wrong, no matter how much you love a person, things can always go wrong. But So I think you can barter with people, um, a lot of people are looking for that other half. You know, there's a lot of artists who are looking for writers and writers who are looking for artists. And you know, the unfortunate thing is everybody needs to eat and needs money. And we don't, you know, we don't live in a society where people pay artists super fairly, unfortunately. Um so, you know, some artists do have to have to say, even for stuff where they may own a part of it, that they need a page rate. And in that case a lot of times I'll recommend art or writers just save up some money and and pay for five pages just so they can do the pitch. And and if it works out, awesome. And then you can go to a publisher and everybody can get paid together. Um, Or if it doesn't work out, at least you haven't shelled out for an entire issue if you only do five pages. Um, In terms of going up to an editor with just a script, um, I mean obviously have a pitch document, not just a script. Definitely. Um, it depends on the publisher a lot of times. And I know, I, th- I think Dark Horse does accept just scripts, um, but it, it varies from publisher to publisher. A lot of that is about establishing a relationship with an editor. If you start talking to an editor and you say, look, you know, I, I have this story I really want to tell, but I haven't been able to find an artist, if you have a proven track record of doing other projects, if, you, if you've done even just one other self published comic, a, an editor might be more willing to help you find an artist, if that helps.
4: Hey, good afternoon. Hello. Um, so sort of in line of uh, sustainability when you're in the self publishing stage uh, before you start trying to pitch, um, things that sell at a lot of uh, bigger conventions nowadays are um, things like uh, fan art or prints of licensed uh, products mm-hmm. that you know obviously other people have done. Is there ever a point when um, doing something along those lines might come back to uh, bite you if, like you know, you've done lots of uh, crossovers with your characters and a licensed property to you know justify the cost of your table at a show years ago would is that something that editors or companies look at in a person's history before they jump on and uh, publish them
2: most editors don't really care um to be perfectly honest i mean it's it is a a, an industry that people will spend money for at conventions because a lot of people who come to a convention want to buy recognizable characters Um, Both Marvel and DC have always turned kind of a blind eye to people doing um, stuff that's their characters. Um, They actually turn an even more blind eye when you're actually working for the company. Um, They, like DC's deal was people could do sketchbooks with DC characters in them Mm -hmm. as long as it was less than 50% DC um, and sell them for a profit and DC wouldn't tell them to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in some ways, it can help if you show that you, you've already drawn these characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think anybody gets too personicity about it. Uh, um, the one exception to that is if you draw them in porny poses. Uh, that could that could come back to bite you. Yeah, no sexy Wolverine. Yeah, Got it. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sexy Wolverine's the only Wolverine. <laughs>
4: Thanks a lot for for doing this for us today. And I just wanted to know, do publishers have any reservations for um, being pitched something that uh, writer or artists had originally self published or published on the web?
2: Um, I think especially with web comics, no, um, I think, you know, web comics are definitely I point to more and more often as a way for publishers to see creators in action. Uh, without the creators having to expend the money on printing and and distribution and and all of that, um, you know, it, it's great. I actually said in the She Makes Comics documentary that the great thing about web comics is that you can turn to a publisher and say, "I did this thing. I did a, a lot of them are on regular schedules. I did this on a regular schedule of my own volition." Imagine what I could do with your schedules and your backing, and you know, like it. it I think it it gives a good impression. Um, And I think especially if you can go to them with, this is the traffic my site's gotten. This is how many fans my webcomic has. That will help them see, oh, we actually have an audience built in that will buy a print edition of this. And that's a big seller. Self-published is a little harder because you've already done a, a print version, but you can always pitch it as, let's do a collection. You know, I did, all of these as single issued self, single issue self published comics, I wanna do a graphic novel collection of all of them together. It's, it's a lot of how you phrase it to them that you want them to have something exclusive that, that you haven't done before on your own um, that I think appeals to publishers. Meredith having to run in those heels.
1: <laughs> it's her choice. It was, yeah, it's my choice. I
2: blame myself. Uh, for the friendly reminder emails, would you ever discourage someone from sending an image of their latest work? Um, no, actually, I think that's a, a great idea. You, you know, you don't want to overdo it ever, but I think it's it's awesome. Even if you're just playing around and sketching, and you've done you know a, a pinup or something, saying here's this thing I was working on this week that I I was you know, felt really positively about, and I thought you might want to see it. I think that's a a great way to go.
3: Hi,
4: Um, everyone knows Image is the main creator-owned publisher out there. Can you name other ones that, and the differences between them that other people can kind
0: of like look into?
2: Um, So IDW does a lot of creator-owned stuff. Um, IDW also does licensed stuff so they, they do a little of everything and, and they do way more individualized deals where on some books they'll own a big portion of it um, but they'll pay a page rate and on other books they won't own anything but they won't pay you anything it's, it's more of an image like deal um, so IDW does do a little of everything and they're a good option for a company that's growing right now um, that's still small enough that it's a little easier to get in. Um, boom Says they're creator-owned. Um, I like Boom a lot, uh, but um, they often take a, a sizable chunk of ownership. Um, and a lot of it's just deciding how much you're willing to to give up. You know how much control you're willing to give up. There's a lot of smaller press publishers. You know I always point to if you're if you're more of an an artsy type, looking at like Nobrow, which is a really great publisher. Um, Secret Acres is really great. Looking at companies like those, if you want to do a graphic novel. Um, in terms of monthly comics, it can be harder. You know, there's ONI. Um, ONI, I think, pays a page rate and does creator owned. Um, but they have a smaller output than a company like IDW. Um, so I'd say that the top ones besides Image are usually ONI, Boom, and IDW right now. Um, Dynamite. I'm not sure if Dynamite, does Dynamite do create around? They think, they, they mostly do, do license, license now. Out, yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they used to, but they don't anymore. So does that answer your question? <laughs> any significant differences in the pitch process uh, between say a creator-owned title and a licensed title um, for companies that do both of those? Um, Yeah I mean I think if you're pitching to a a licensed book obviously you have to do some research and and know the, the project you're working on but you don't have to spend as much time explaining the characters and, and getting into the character stuff, you can deal more with just the plot. Um, it's also a lot of licensed titles. It's more about being invited to pitch. So you usually will already have a relationship with that editor. You won't have to explain quite so much about who you are and, and work usually quite as hard <laughs> to convince them to publish you. Creator owns hard just because it's, it's always a risk for any publisher, licensed stuff. A lot of the times, it doesn't matter who works on it. Somebody will buy it, mm-hmm. uh, and and so it's less of a risk for them. Which is why I think a lot of companies will take risks on new talent on licensed stuff. If they, you know, if they're like, "Oh, you can handle drawing this art style, okay? We'll we'll try you out," because they know they're going to make money. Um, where with creator-owned stuff, it could it could cost them money to, to put it out. So those are the big differences. You know, when you're, when you're pitching creator-owned, you really, you have to sell both the project, the characters, and yourself. Um, and you have to work a little less hard on licensed, although you have to have kind of a sneaky way in. Any other questions? We've got another one down here, Merida.
4: I gotta be annoying and ask.
1: Oh, no, that's okay. Don't be that guy, Matt. <laughs>
4: So um, something I've found in uh, you know my times tabling at shows and stuff is that uh, it's really easy to um, meet and hang out with uh, writers and artists, but red- editors seem to be some kind of like rare breed. <laughs> and I think part of that's just because they're not one sitting at tables next right. to in the artist alley. But um, the processes that you were describing today uh, had a lot to do with like finding them after a con, Mm -hmm. uh, after a a panel, like talking, walking with them or, I mean that initial sort of interaction is gonna be basically cold. Right. And um, is there a a more natural way or is that like generally accepted and editors understand that kind of comes with the territory and they don't mind it?
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, editors know they're at a convention usually to, to meet people, whether it's fans or creators. so it is it is pretty expected. Um, I would always say the easiest place to meet editors is in their company booth if, if their company has a booth. Um, you know as an editor, I usually have a ton of meetings scheduled throughout the day. Some of them are at the booth and some are, are off-site or you know at a coffee shop or whatever. Um, so it can be sort of hit or miss if you can actually track people down. But usually if you go to a booth and you say, oh hey, you know, I, I really wanted to talk to editor blank. Yeah. Somebody there should be able to point you in the right direction, especially if you're not creepy.
3: Um,
2: oh, also, I always recommend uh, dudes, never ask a woman editor to leave the convention floor with you. If you yeah. wanna pitch to them, that sets off some red flags. Cause I've been asked, like, hey, can we go grab a beer? And I'm like, I have never met you before. I'm not going anywhere with you. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, editors expect that you're gonna you're gonna track them down at cons. And and it's also good, I mean, figuring out the email conventions for most companies is pretty easy. Like, here's a tip: DC's email addresses are firstname.lastname at dcentertainment.com. It's super easy. Um, so you can usually just send them a cold email, and be like, hey, I'm gonna, I saw you're gonna be at this con, I'm gonna be there too, I'd really love to just meet you and, and have a quick chat. Mm-hmm. Um, and editors also like that because then they have a packed schedule, they can slot you in yeah, yeah. A, and make sure that they have time for you. Um, but yeah, it, it can be hard to track down editors. Also looking at people's badges is always helpful if you know the name of the editor you wanna meet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stop people. No, don't talk. <laughs> Anybody else?
1: Okay, well, if nobody else, I'm just back up here. All right. Questions?
2: Meredith has some questions for me. Sure. Okay.
1: Is this work? Okay. <laughs> so you mentioned about uh, artists sending in regular samples. What about writers? Do they want to see that writers can write in multiple styles? Like you can do different genres, you can, who do different tones of voice, do they, do they, would they like writers to turn in? Did, like say, I have a sample script for XYZ style story. Would you like to see it? or?
2: I think it depends on the writer. If, if you don't genuinely want to write a bunch of different genres, don't force yourself to. Um, it's, I, I mean, I understand people want to make money and they want to break in, but I always feel like you're never going to do your best work if you don't give a shit about what you're working on. So, I would always recommend if you are interested in doing multiple genres and you're talking to a publisher where you're, you know, you're pitching work for hire or whatever, um, you know, let them know, hey, I love both Batman and Superman, and you know, here's some sample scripts or, or whatever if if they've given you permission. Um, I also think if you're doing <coughs> your own stuff, your own self-published stuff and you've been in communication with an editor and you want to send them, you know, I, I did this completely different story and I wanted to make sure you saw it because I feel like it shows my my range between the previous samples. Like, that's always a good idea, too. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and what about any other skills? Like, how, how closely these days do editors monitor social media? Like, for example, if someone turned in a very professional, wonderful-looking pitch, but then they got on Twitter and saw them fighting, would that, would that be a turn-off or... Um, I think it depends on how high
2: level you're going. You know, if, if
1: you're pitching
2: a, a tiny, small press, most of those people don't care. They don't, you know, like it's it's more about the art and, and less about, I mean, unless you're like racist or homophobic, that, mm-hmm. that I think sets flags off for everyone. Um, the higher level you get in terms of visibility in the industry, the more it becomes a concern. Um, DC does monitor people's social media, in terms of the creators working for them. And uh, also as an editor, one of my least favorite things ever is to have someone owe me pages and see them tweet about playing video games. (laughs) And that has happened many, many times with multiple creators and it makes me want to tear up my hair.
3: Um,
2: I also once had a guy who got attacked by a feral cat (laughs) in his house uh, and (laughs) was like three weeks late on his pages and then posted on social media about the cat attack, still didn't tell us, and so we had to like, message him on Facebook to be like, yo dude, um, you didn't turn in these pages, and now you got attacked by a feral cat, so (laughs) maybe you call your editors, maybe. Um, So, you know, make sure your editors aren't the last to know about stuff via social media. If, you know, if there's an emergency in your family, and you know, you've got, break and you're you're publishing your book but something bad happens email your editor honesty is always recommended over not talking to your editor Mm -hmm. say look there's been a death in my family I need a couple days to go deal with this and you know I'm gonna I'll be back on the pages soon and they will work with you yeah 99% of the time
1: so beyond the, the base level of professionalism, and I'm assuming good spelling and grammar skills, um, what, what Honestly,
2: other- Honestly, negligible. Like, especially if you're an artist, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you can spell. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Unless you're also doing the lettering.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but beyond that though, are there any other like, things that they would look for that you might not necessarily you know, know about? Like, what, what other skills would be preferable besides just the basics? Um I mean I think having some concept
2: of schedules and you know when you're a freelancer and you're you're working on your own uh, you are your own business. You're you're a small business then. Legitimately like if you look at some of the paperwork and the advice for for freelancers you you can you can be an LLC, you can you know you, you're a small business and you should treat it that way and Keep track of your expenses and keep track of your taxes, and it's it's not stuff that comes easy. I think to creative people, uh, a lot of times it's like numbers are very stressful. And I'm I'm just learning to do this now because I am a recent freelancer myself. Um, so it can be a difficult skill, but it's you know it doesn't matter quite as much to the publisher, but it's going to matter a lot to you, and. Um, Having like knowing of a lawyer can be really helpful, um, you know. Especially when you're early on, you may not have a ton of room for negotiations, but you you know you want to make sure you're not being completely screwed over in your contracts. Obviously, um, so yeah, just having some sense of yourself as a business and that can also help in terms of you know if you you have to invoice your publisher, you want to make sure that you have clean, easily read invoices. And stuff like that because that's gonna get you paid faster than having like i wrote down on a notepad that you owe me a hundred bucks or something um so you know that that's usually what i recommend have some knowledge and also it's always good for creators to understand what the publishing process is like uh i think it's sort of steeped in mystery for for some creators because um it, it does vary from company to company. And you know if you're doing a graphic novel, the lead time is gonna be huge, not just for your creative part of, of creating it, but also the printing process is really long. Um, and if you end up at a company like, you know, say, say you really luck out and, and Random House publishes your graphic novel, uh, they work on such a long timeline that you could end up, you know, you could finish it and it still won't come out for a year and a half because they've decided that's when their catalog hits and that's the best time for your book. Um, Where monthly comics, obviously way more immediate. You are going to need to either build in some sort of cushion for yourself or be able to turn around a book on a monthly basis, which is not easy and a lot of people can't do it. it. It is very difficult. Um, so I think knowing the publishers you work with, knowing how they publish, and and knowing what that might mean for you as as a creator is really important too.
1: So you, you mentioned an attorney. Um, w- at what point in a in a writer's or artist's career should they maybe consider getting an agent to make sure that they're getting the best deals? Uh, obviously, early in the in the process, probably not so much. Maybe jump in the gun, but.
2: So agents are really uncommon in comics, which um, I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, I've worked, you know, there's a lot of uh, artists in Spain and Brazil who are represented by agents. Um, I I worked with a couple agents while I was at DC who represent people, um, you know, like, one of my best friends is is one of the agents for like Jesus Saiz and Perry Perez and, and guys like that. And they're really helpful when the creators don't speak English, you know it can be very hard for an editor to try and communicate with with a uh, an artist who doesn't speak the language. And a lot of the agents like they pay for translating services to make sure the scripts are translated so that the artist understands. And in that case, it's super helpful. Um, most of the writers I know who have agents also do regular publishing. Um, and the process of getting an agent can be very daunting. And a lot of agents don't understand graphic novels. Um, I just went through the process of finding an agent for myself and it's it's really nice to have, but the scale for book publishing is usually involves a lot more money. Mm -hmm. So an agent taking a 15% cut off of that much money is a little different than like an agent being like, I want 15% of the $20 a page you're making, you know? Um, which, it may not end up being worthwhile, but if you really, if you're more of a, a graphic novelist and you really wanna do longer stories and you really wanna publish at, at bigger publishers like like Random House or Scholastic, you do wanna have an agent eventually. Once, you, once you've built up some sort of self-published stuff or web comics or whatever, I would say start researching agents who do work with comic creators because you will find them helpful. A lot of the traditional book companies don't know how to deal with people without an agent and, and you can't publish with them without an agent. But most comic companies don't know how to deal with an agent. <laughs> so it's sort of a, a catch 22 and it, a lot of it depends on what you want to do. Um, I would always say like in comics, knowing a lawyer is gonna be more beneficial to you in the long run than having an agent. Um, There's a couple lawyers who specialize in comics. Um, I did an interview with one for Comics Alliance. Her name is Caitlin Mm Damata. She only represents creators. Um, There's also Katie Lane, Mm -hmm. who um, represents both small press and creators. And they're great because they are both passionate about comics and they know the industry really well. So they understand the sort of things that comic creators have to consider, and they'll, you know, they they usually are, are pretty affordable in terms of lawyers, um, which can be really helpful if you if you are collaborating with another creator, and you're doing self-publishing or you know you're gonna eventually pitch it to a company. I always say have a contract. You you know I cannot say that enough. Have a contract, and having a lawyer to draft a contract for you can be really simple. It can be actually pretty cheap because it, you can do a quick two-page contract that lays everything out. Yeah.
1: So this is something that I've heard very mixed things about from, from multiple people. Um, what is your personal opinion on the advice, don't ever get a full-time job at a publisher where you would like to p- pitch someday? Um,
2: that's rough. Um, I think it depends on how many bridges you plan to burn when you leave. No, <laughs> um, you know, so it depends on the publisher. Um, for a lot of people, it's a way in, especially at companies like Marvel and DC, because it can be so hard to break in. Um, and you, know, you look at guys like Pete Tomasi who used to be an editor at DC and then left and immediately went freelance and got an exclusive and you know, wrote a, a shitload of books. Um, you know, it works out for some people, but it also doesn't work out for other people. And in my opinion, editors who wanna be writers or artists make the shittiest editors. <laughs> because you're always going to be thinking about how you could do this better um, and I've met people who are that way. And it, it's unfortunate because it's, you know, you should be out there doing the comics you want to do, not resenting the creators who work for you at this company. Um, and, you know, everybody has to pay the bills and working at a comic company can give you a lot of experience as to how the process works and, and everything. But it can be really hard for people who want to be doing that work to turn off that part of their brain and and just be an editor or be an accountant or you know like just do the function that they're there to do. So I think it can be really complicated. Um, it might get your foot in the door a little bit, but it also might make you like that company less too. Mm-hmm.
1: And what advice do you have about handling rejection?
2: <sighs> Nobody likes it. Uh, it sucks every time it you know, it, it's it's always important to be gracious and You never know when the editor who rejected one pitch will accept the next one and it's it's Almost never personal sometimes it is personal, but it's almost never personal. So it's more about You know publishing companies have specific lines. They, they publish a specific tone Almost all of them have a, a plan in mind for what kind of books they want to publish. And unless you fit that that narrow view, they they may not publish you. Even if you are the best cartoonist in the history of cartoonists, it may just not fit with their company. So don't be discouraged. And I always say, ask if they say, you know, oh, I'm sorry, like we're not interested. I would always ask do you have any advice? Mm-hmm. Say, you know, thank you so much for your time. Um, is there anything, you know, like, just try and find out if, if it's the content or, you know, maybe they don't like the art or, or if there's something about it that they don't like, um, they may be able to give you good advice that helps you pitch to them in the future or pitch to other publishers.
1: We're actually out of time for the most part, we've got a couple more minutes left. Okay,
4: anyone any last minute questions? Yes. Uh, I, I'm loud. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. I was just curious. Uh, the inf- I came in a little late and the information you had in your PowerPoint, is that available online or anything? Or do you have that digitally available at all? Because it was very quick. And I know some of the bullet points. Um,
0: we're
2: long. Yeah, they they work. So okay, it's not available because it was valuable information. Um, it's not yet but I can actually put it up online. Uh, okay. my Twitter account is uh @gimpnelli, @gimpnelly g i m p n e l l y. I took pictures of all of them oh. and I tagged you on
1: Twitter. For okay, like, I'll I'll retweet I tweet them as well. This thing. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you. I <laughs> like, that Yay. was really awesome of you to, to have done that for us. appreciate it. Um, yeah, and
2: I think I may also put it up on something like SlideShare or whatever, if, yeah. if people are interested.
1: I'm definitely interested. Thank you so much, Janelle. Um, and those of you who are looking for artists and maybe writers and other collaborators, Janelle writes a great column on Comics Alliance called Hire This Woman, mm-hmm. where she focuses on a lot of up-and-coming women in the comics industry. She did a great panel yesterday with some of the ladies around here, so you don't have any excuses. Uh, but anyways, thank you so much. Please, thank, thank you, thank you guys. for doing all this work. Thank you, Janelle. <laughs>
0: Like I said earlier, this panel was briefly excerpted on Giant Size Episode 33, which you can find at esn.fm slash giant size slash 33. You can find show notes for this panel from Staple 2015 by going to esn.fm slash artist edition slash 63. And again, get in on that Kickstarter in its waning hours. Thanks again to Janelle Azalin. Thanks again to Staple, everybody for uh, making this possible. And if you are interested in ever getting out there and making comics, don't feel like something is holding you back other than you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more in the Artist Edition feed later this week as we present the uncut interviews that I did with Jess Fink and Babs Tar, which are both excerpted not only on Giant Size 33, like this panel, but also on an episode of Electric Shadow that is releasing later this week all about Sailor Moon. Yes, I'm a Sailor Moon fan. There, I've said it. Well, I've said it many times before. Thanks for listening, and have a good week.